Let's pray together as we get started. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful day you have given us. I thank you for your word that never stops teaching. I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit to continue to guide us and point us to your son, Jesus, that we might have life and have it to the full. As we look at the intersection of church and family and our desire to bring glory to you in all we do, I ask that you would guide our our thoughts and use your word to teach us this morning. Lord, may my words be few. And would you just point us in the same direction that together as a church and together as families, we would be light and love in this dark world. In your name I pray, amen. Some of you may be like me. You've grown up in the church and everyone in the church knew you from the time you were in your mother's womb all the way until now. Now, in a place like Hong Kong, that's not often the case. But I want to tell you this morning as we get started about a few people in my life and why they're significant. I've, I've had fun talking with my parents and reminding me of names and things. But when I was four years old, living in a place called Auburn, New York, outside of Syracuse, if you care... Uh, I had two Sunday school teachers. It's what before we changed the name to discipleship classes that used to be called Sunday school. And back then I had these two ladies. Both of them were portly. They're rather large, but they just loved me. And I remember every Sunday I would go to church and I would walk into these two rooms and Helen Reisman or Ethel Tokars, these two lovely ladies, I really thought they were at least 100 years old, come to find out they were much younger than that. They would be waiting for me and they would say, hello, Michael, and they would give me these giant hugs and I would try so hard to get my arms around them, but it never worked. But you know what? It didn't matter what was going on every Sunday. I was the pastor's kid, so I was at church every Sunday, no matter how I felt. Every Sunday, they had a hug, a smile, and God's word for me. Every Sunday. Later on, I moved. We moved to a place called Geneva, Ohio, a town of 6,000 people. Way more people live in Wampo than live in my main hometown. And in that town, uh, I I moved into this stage of life called junior high. Here we might call it middle school or the beginning of secondary school. And if you remember those days, a lot changes in your life and not all of it is pleasant. You begin to be aware of your body changing. If you're a man, your voice starts to change in weird ways. And all these things happen. And one other thing changes. Your parents look very different to you. Not in physical appearance, but in your desire to talk with them. Suddenly, you would much rather listen to the advice anyone else gives you than your parents. Do you remember this? This current generation isn't the first ones to think that. But I had this woman, again, a Sunday school teacher named Debbie Joyner. And every Sunday, again, she would welcome me. At this point, I was Mike, no longer Michael. And she would check in with me, and this was before the days of email and things like that, so she would call me on a landline telephone, and she would just, every once in a while, just check in and say, Mike, how are you doing? How can I pray for you today? And I knew that if I needed to talk to some, someone, I always had Debbie. Then I learned to drive. 
And I could go to Debbie's house and hang out with her little kids. And she liked hanging, having a, a, a teenager hang out with her young boys. And we just got to share life together. And she loved me. And I got a little older. And a man walked into my life named Selby Brannon. He was one of my dad's dear friends. He was one of the elders in our church. And Selby had the courage and the love to tell me, Mike, you need to act like an adult. You need to remember that you can put away the childish things and we can grow together. And he treated me that way. He treated me like he expected more out of me. He wasn't a youth leader. He was an elder in our church. But he loved me enough to show me the way. And he would give me books to read that I was like, oh. But he's like, I want you to promise to read this. One of them being, I believe it was called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. And I still have that on my bookshelf today because it taught me about the shepherd's heart of our God and our King, Jesus. And then there was one other man later on in life. At this point, I was grown, in quotes, and his name was Dale Teal. And we had moved to a place we didn't know at all. I'd been married not very long, just a year plus. And I was asked to be a youth pastor of a rather large church to me with a rather large youth group. We'd gone from a youth group of 10 kids to over 100. And I was overwhelmed at times. And Dale, this man, just walked alongside. He said, I'm going to be a youth leader just to walk with you. And I'm going to volunteer to work with the junior hires. But even more, I'm going to make sure we spend time together every week. And he walked with me and he was there to give advice, to give wise counsel, to love me and to invest in me. And oh, by the way, to play golf with me too. It was great. But you see, these people in my life were seminal because not only did they invest in me, but they showed me what it was like to be the church. They showed me that regardless of my age, there were people that loved God so much they couldn't help but loving a funny-looking kid like me. But as time went on, I also realized that I was spoiled. My entire life, I've been known as one way, a pastor's kid. And when I grew up, I became a pastor. That means a lot of times you hear about all the negatives that are associated with being the child of a pastor but there were many positives. I could ask many of you in this room the names of my children and you would know all three of their names. And yes, I have three children. Why? Not so much because you've personally known them, but because you've heard stories about them or you've seen them run around or you've had to talk to them about their behavior or whatnot. Being a pastor meant a lot of people knew me and I was blessed because people cared deeply for my family. About five years ago, I read a book that made me wonder, why couldn't all of the church think of every child, every adult, every senior adult in our church with the same love and compassion that people gave me when I was younger? And the name of the book was called Think Orange, hence the the subject of today's message. But it's not about the book. It's about looking at the scriptures and seeing how God has aimed us in one direction together for his glory to be his disciples. It really is that simple. And today we're going to look at that and we're, I'm going to ask you to consider how can I be involved in making disciples wherever God may place me? And how can I think orange in the process? I'm not going to tell you what it means to think orange yet, but you can, you can start guessing some. 
And so what I want us to do is I want us to understand first, who is the head of the church? Because what happens in churches sometimes, if we're not careful, is we can lose sight of our primary focus. Our primary focus is to glorify God by loving Christ. And as we love Christ, we can't help but love one another, and therefore we can't help but tell the world about Jesus. That's how it works. That's our vision statement, if you wondered. But it starts with glorifying God. And we're told we glorify God by loving and obeying His Son. And here we see in John chapter 1 just who this Jesus is. And I want to tell you a little bit about Him. He is God incarnate. God became flesh and dwelt among us. So let's see what that means. Through Him, Jesus, the Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the, get this, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. And then our verse, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Often, if I asked you to think about parenting, and Eric didn't even, I didn't ask him to say this, but we can often fall into two camps. There's the really gracious or permissive camp of parenting. Let your kids do everything and hope for the best. Or there's the don't trust them with anything and be super strict and very punishment-oriented side. Now, there are really more styles than that, but I'm exaggerating here. And where we just keep our hands upon them all the time. And in the middle, there's an invitation to grace and truth found in the person of Jesus Christ, the head of the church. When we look at how we grow together as a family, another metaphor for how God looks at his church, he tells us we should speak with compassion. He tells us we should be about love for one another, that we should be about unity together, going in the same direction toward the light of Jesus Christ, our God, our King, our Savior. We just sang it, our Savior, our Sanctifier, our Healer, and our coming King. That is Jesus Christ, and He lights up my life. And I want people to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That's my king, Jesus, the head of the church. But we also hear something else. Jesus tells his people in John 8, he says, I, me, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness will have the light of life. I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've wondered what I'm supposed to do with my life. Am I the only one? No. You sure? I, 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 you know, I got a nervous chuckle from a few, but I feel like for most of us, we've wondered sometimes, what on earth am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And how am I going to get out of this mess I've made of my life? Well, the answer is always starting right here. Jesus Christ promises that we will never walk in darkness. Those who believe in him, who've accepted him as their savior, and who walk in the spirit, Paul tells us in Romans 8. 
He invites us to a full life, a life that says he will let us know exactly where to go when it's good and ready time that we should know and not a second before. Some of you may wrestle with, a, uh, with what I call a spiritual gift. It's called the gift of patience. And we want to know everything right now, right? We want to be prepared for all contingencies. And part of this wonderful journey of following Christ is that he invites us to step out in faith. He didn't say, follow me and I will give you every desire of your heart. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Come with me. Follow my example. Obey what I have laid out for you. That's our king. That's the head of our church. When I taught middle school Sunday school in, in Minnesota, it was very early in the morning and most of those young boys didn't want to be out of bed yet. And so whenever I would try to get them talking about anything other than drinks like Mountain Dew or whatever movie they were watching, I would ask them spiritually probing questions based on what we were talking about that week in class. And without fail, there was a young boy named Clayton, Clayton Johnson. I love that guy. He's not a kid anymore. Uh, in fact, he's graduated from university at this point. But back then, Clayton would be like this most of the class. But every once in a while, you would get a smile on his face. And so being me, I would look at Clayton. He wouldn't know it because he was sound asleep. And I'd say, Clayton, and I would ask some question about what we just talked about in God's word. And he would pipe up and he'd be like, Jesus. No matter what you asked, the answer was Jesus. And I looked at him and it became a running joke for two plus years. But you know what? The answer is Jesus. He is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through the Son. He is the head of our church. And so when people ask you, what is the reason for the hope that you have? He is the answer. Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior and our King. He drives what we do at AIC. He drives what we do as a community of churches here in Hong Kong, as a family of churches all over the world. Why do we pray for the persecuted church and all that's gone on? Because they're our brothers and sisters. And He is our light. And we want that light to be shown brightly even in these dark times, he says, you will never walk in darkness. So the first question we have to ask anybody, do we know Jesus? If you look in your bulletins, the God incarnate, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when he went back, he left the Holy Spirit with us to guide us, to teach us, and to convict us of sin. So where do we go from there if we want to be the church God has called us to be? Well, we look at some things. First, in Matthew 5, Jesus shifts the focus. He says, I am the light of the world. Okay, we get that. Jesus is the light of the world. He is perfect. He never sinned. He's God's son. Yeah, he's a good light. I want him to shine brightly. But look what Jesus tells us here. This is interesting. Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. By the way, anybody, this isn't science or advanced science. What happens if you put a light, a candle, under a bowl? What happens to the candle? It will go out, correct? Without oxygen, without air, it will go out. Instead, we put a light on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and say how awesome you are. No. Our good deeds, our obedience to the life Jesus has invited us into, don't point to us. They point to Jesus, through whom we glorify the Father in heaven. So by following what Jesus has taught us, By following his light, we are a reflection of that light for this world we are invited into. We, the church, are to show the light. It's a pretty daunting concept because I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. There's been times when I would rather people not see my attitude. But yet Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Don't hide my light. If you go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 1, we're introduced to the concept of these seven lampstands. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But in those lampstands is this picture of Jesus in the middle of them. And he said these seven lampstands are the seven churches. And these churches are lighting up the person of Jesus Christ. And you go back, what's this with the lampstand? Well, if you go back to Exodus chapter 25, the lampstand was what was inside the tabernacle. It was what brought light to a specific object in that room. Who were we to bring light to now? Jesus. We are to reflect His glory so that people don't rejoice in how good we are. They understand the greatness of God poured out through His Son, Jesus Christ, so that all may see Him in us and rejoice and give praise to the Father in heaven. The church is the light. What else do we hear? Well, Paul adds to this. And it's interesting because he talks, if I could summarize what he says, attitude is everything. He tells us, do everything without, our, without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Now, I understand there might be someone in this room that has never left Hong Kong. Therefore, you may only have seen six stars at most. But if you visited other parts of the world, say New Zealand or Canada or parts of the world all over, you look up and the stars are too numerous to count. And you know what the scriptures tells us? God put them there. And you know what John 1 tells us? Nothing that was made was made except through the word, through the Logos, through Jesus. And here... We are to shine that brightly like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. 
we invite people into the life that God invites us to, that we learn from right here in His Word. And it affects our attitudes. Do everything without complaining. There's a good chance all of us have complained this morning. Maybe not all, but some of us. There's a good chance that someone has already frustrated us. But what if we were so compelled by the light of Jesus Christ and his great love that we interacted with one another out of the same sacrificial love that Jesus gave to us when he told us to consider others better than yourself? To consider the ambition of Christ who made himself into a servant. That is a message the world can't argue. When we love out of Christ-like love, the world sees the light of Christ in us and rejoices. There are times when they won't understand and there are times when they will persecute us. We are seeing that right now. But the church, Alliance International Church and the Church Universal all over the world is called to light up this dark world with the light of Jesus Christ. You with me? What else? Well, it's a group effort. Church doesn't work by yourself. Church itself is not a thing. It's a body of believers reflecting Jesus, pointing people to Jesus Christ, pointing people to the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we go back to the Shema, which Hannah did a great job reading from earlier today, notice that is, most people think that the Shema is all about family where it starts in verse 3 of Deuteronomy 6. And even before that, this is Moses. If you remember our series in Deuteronomy, the first few chapters, who was Moses talking to? Right there. All of Israel. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey Again, with this idea of obedience, so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing. Remember, they're walking into the promised land. And they're being invited to obey what God has laid before them, all of them. And then you read in the New Testament, Paul invites us constantly to be unified. Jesus prays that they may be one as I and the Father are one. This idea is that we, as Pastor Dan just said, we are to be walking through life together. It's why I'm so passionate about community groups. It's why I say that we need more just than the interaction we get here. Because we need to walk with each other to help shine the light of Christ in us. That others may see Him in us and rejoice. It's a group effort. And it's much more successful that way. Well, how do we do it? Well, C.S. Lewis says it's really simple. And he tries very hard to simplify this, and we could talk more about it. But basically, he says the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. That's what a disciple is, to be like the one you are following, your teacher. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. And he says, God became man for no other purpose. God became man to draw people unto himself and to invite us to follow him, to obey him, to be like him, and to enjoy him for eternity. 
why wouldn't we want to tell the world the greatness of that message? That God became flesh, dwelt among us. Then, out of the great sacrificial love, he went to the cross, knowing that he was going to pay the price for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose victoriously over sin. Sin no longer had a grip on us, but we could be set free through the wonderful power of God at work in his son, Jesus. And when he rose again, death had lost its sting. And we could live a new life under a new covenant that starts with the idea of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And we, the church then, it is that simple, are to shine out that light. So how do we do it? What might we learn from God's word that helps us show the world his life? Well, Matthew 22 tells us, and it goes back to the Shema, it says that we should live in love. Okay, well, what what does that mean? Well, Jesus says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He adds one in there. And then he says, oh, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Those are Jesus' words. And that love will so compel you to not just love me, but to love the world around you. We will live a life of love when we are hid in Christ. When we are living as light in this world, the world will see love in us. If we have not love, we are like a clinging symbol, right? And if you've heard a clinging symbol, think of that little toddler that comes up and just bangs the symbol's heart. It isn't pleasing to the ear. But when the loving touch of the master hits a symbol at just the right time. It comes and evokes this great power, this great crescendo, this great excitement of what the symphony was meant for. Right? So we live in love. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. We are to preach with eternity in view. We should never get away from the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back and our compelling call is to tell everyone we can about Jesus because he's coming back and I don't want it to fall on me that I haven't told someone I know about him. We must always look ahead and in the same way, we can't keep thinking of that the cares of this world are all there is. This is but a foretaste of eternity and glory with Jesus for those in Christ. For those outside of Christ, how will they hear unless we tell them? And if we don't tell them, yes, Christless eternity is hell. And I I don't want that even for, I don't have a worst enemy, but even if I did, I wouldn't want that for them. We should want everyone we come in contact with to know the true light of Jesus Christ. We preach with eternity in view. Then Matthew 28, Jesus tells us, go into all the world and make disciples of AIC, right? No. AIC might be here today and gone tomorrow. We want to point people to be, Jesus, to be like Jesus Christ. That's why we invite you to join us for Multiply this fall. 
to see not just what it means to follow a as a disciple of Jesus, but then how to help others grow in their journeys wherever they are in their faith. It's why we believe it's much more than just a program of discipleship. It's about walking together through life. So often I'll talk to people, and I'm not the first one. I was talking with a friend yesterday, and he was telling me about a wellness recovery action plan that someone had come up with that helps people that have really struggled to identify targets and goals to put them on the right path toward health and wellness in their lives. We need the same in the church. We may struggle spiritually. We may struggle at home. We may be like Eric and his group where we sometimes wonder, what am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do with my parents? What am I going to do with my job? What am I, ah! And we just need people to walk with us. And as we do, we're making disciples by inviting others into the journey with us. When we're inviting others to know love, it's, it's, a, it's a mistype there. Know, love, and live the word. Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, sorry, typo, should say, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and guiding us essentially is what he's saying. We need to know the word, but we can't just know it. Again, knowledge without action is empty. Lots of really smart people have missed the point. Jesus invites us into life. He says, I am the light and the life. And I am the way to the Father. You bring glory to the Father by loving me. We try very hard sometimes to do church. But as Erwin McManus says, and I think he says it better than anybody, the church isn't here for us. We are the church and we're here for the world. I would add we're here to light up the world with the glory of Jesus Christ. So that's the church. But there's, and it's a wonderful opportunity to influence the world around us, especially in these dark times. But there's another influence that you read about in the Bible. You ever notice there's a lot of genealogies in the Bible? You get really excited when you come to those in your daily reading, don't you? You know, you love the book of Numbers. You can't wait to find out how many people there were in this tribe and in this people and this group. And if I quizzed you on all their names, you would know them all, right? No, but you know the amazing thing about all those genealogies in God's Word? They trace the family. You see, family mattered to God from the beginning. God gave Adam a helpmate. He should not be alone. Then he gave him kids. And the kids were rebellious. And when we get up and we as church leaders talk about families, often we can give this idea that to be a good Christian family, you've got to have it all figured out, right? And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be the perfect family. But what if I told you about a few people in the scriptures that are highlighted and maybe you could think a little bit about them when we think about how we lead our families and hopefully we can improve. Because the, the Bible has a lot to say about families, but it also teaches us from those who've gone before us and teaches us there is grace in this journey. What do I mean? Well, Noah had a drinking problem. Read it. It's there. Abraham offered his wife to another man. That's good loyalty right there. 
I'm going to protect my own skin. Melissa, you, you go with him because I need to be covered. Rebecca intentionally helped her son deceive her husband, Isaac. David had an affair, murdered the, other husband, murdered the husband, and then his son started a rebellion and tried to kill his dad because David, the awesome father that he was, wouldn't deal with the fact that his sons had raped one of his daughters. That's David, King David, out of the line of which Christ came. Eli lost total control of his sons where they went into the temple and were having sex with the prostitutes around them. Time and again, we see broken families in God's word, but God still worked, often in spite of them, and sometimes as they grew. Yes, David made monumental mistakes, but David also teaches us how to confess, how to repent, and how to be transformed by God when those mistakes have been made. If you question that, read Psalm 51. David knew how to share the love and he knew how to come back to God. Noah obeyed God when everyone else thought he was crazy. You see, the scriptures often show us broken people so that we can learn, I may not be perfect, but with the help of the church, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we can get through this together. Amen? That doesn't sound very convinced, so let's keep going. You see, if you go back up, the first thing we see, again, here's that corporate aspect. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. First thing, the Lord is one. All of this is about God. If we don't teach, train, and live out the character of God before our children, our adults, and everybody in between, we're missing the point. We're just doing church. Our role as churches and families should be to point people to Jesus Christ through his miraculous transformational work in our lives? Do our families, do our friends know that Jesus has changed our lives? That his character, his very nature, gives us a reason to live. And therefore, we know we can trust him and his promises because he has never failed us. Jesus tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. These are the promises of God for us, for his people that believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And Jesus tells us, go invite others in. Bring them into the banquet. Let them know. And then when you get to your family, make sure the thing that's talked about most is God. The Lord is one. And what should we do? How should we respond? We love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, with a love that is saved only for him. Sadly, as time has gone by, it happened to Israel. It happened to the early church. It's why there are those seven churches written about in Revelation. It's easy for us to lose sight of the lampstand in who it is lighting, who it is pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. But we can lose sight of our first love and we can place our affections on other things, on other people, and we can think that this world has all I need. And we can put Jesus off to the side 
And then we can invite our children to do the same. We can tell them that your career is more important than who you are in Christ. We can tell them that grades matter more. And grades are hugely significant. Please don't misunderstand me. But we can say that grades or academic performance or whatever performance matters more than a vibrant, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And I promise you it doesn't. Nothing matters more than loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and then loving others the way he first loved us. But, Jesus, but God goes on. Moses teaches us. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be blazoned upon your hearts. You got to know it. You got to know what he teaches, what he says. And we've talked about that. Impress them on your children. I like that in English, the word there is chosen to be used as impress. Because if you're me, teaching kind of feels like what I'm doing right now. Where words are coming out of my mouth, but you're more concerned with what's going on right out there right now. And, and so teaching often feels very one-sided. But this idea of impressing on your children the very words of God has this idea of walking with them, of showing them the light and love of God. I have a picture, if you go way back into the bowels of my Facebook, of when we had first moved to Saikung, and my oldest child now was my little girl then, and she used to only want to wear a Supergirl outfit. And I say that for a reason, because there is a picture way back somewhere of Daddy and Isabella walking hand in hand through the center of Saikung town. And someone, I think, is in this room, posted the comment, to whom much is given, much is expected. Or, with great power, no, it's with great power comes great responsibility. And it was my job, and what they were saying is, they were referring to Spider-Man, but they were also reminding me to impress upon that little girl, that beautiful little child, what it means to walk with God. And so every, time, every once in a while, I'll flip back and I'll look at that picture of my kid because it reminds me that I want to impress on her every day of my life the light and love and life of Jesus Christ in her life through how he's changed mine and through how the church loves and interacts with her. You see, it's not family over here and church over here. We go to church, they tell us one thing, and then we try to do our own. What if these came together and we worked hard together to influence this generation, next generation, and the legacies that follow with the glory of God? What if we walked hand in hand, impressing these things on our kids, talking about them with our friends? This is still communal. This is still also about all of Israel, all of the world around us. When we walk along the road, have you met Jesus? When you lie down, I want to tell you, and you can hold me accountable, and that's why I'm telling you, but as I read this and I was preparing for this a few weeks ago, I was challenged. Every morning I get up and I, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation right now, going back to that and doing the one-year Bible. Some of you have done that before. But there's a lot to cover at one time if you do the one-year Bible. It's, it feels, it's actually not. I've read more pages in other books or sports pages than that. But I wanted to make sure I remembered what I was reading. So I tried to discipline myself, and it's been amazing and wonderful that not only when I get up do I read God's Word first thing, but when I go to bed, the last thing I do is reread what I'd read that morning. 
because I want to remember it. I want it to be hidden on my heart and I want to be able to talk, to it, talk about it with my kids and let them know. And then I want to get up here and tell you about it. And I want you to be able to say, hey, this is what God's showing Pastor Mike. Maybe we can learn with him because he's sure not perfect. But if God can teach him something, he can sure teach me. And we can grow together. So we read the word, we study, we share the love. And then when we think about it, this is what we remember. This is the summary of the family, of God bringing your family together. I love that we live in a society that values senior citizens and little kids growing together generationally in the same home and in the same environment. That's something that in Western culture like mine is often lost. Every once in a while you find it, but I lived hours and hours and hours away from my grandparents, had a limited relationship with them. I loved them but they didn't have much of an impact on my life other than they gave me cool gifts. But we're invited to a family that cares for one another and that points people to the character and love of God. Impress on our families that character and love of God through relationship with His Son. We want to talk about parenting. We want to talk about together as the church family raising a healthy family. It starts with us growing in Christ. It starts with us growing as his disciples, identifying that the Lord is one. There is nothing more valuable than following him. And then we show and tell, impress, if you will. Fight for the very heart and soul of your family members. Listen to them. You know, in, in this book I'd read years ago and that we've come back to, It's interesting because they remind you that your communication style may not always be the most effective for your child. Your communication style certainly isn't always the most effective with your parents. You ever realize or wonder why even though we are adults, we still have a hard time sometimes talking to our mom and dad? You ever notice that? And it's because we haven't always figured out how to speak the same language. And on bad days when we're both a little grumpy things come together. But if we can learn to speak the language of God's great love and grace and justice and mercy, it means we can speak into the heart of our unsaved parents, our unsaved relatives. It means we can speak into the heart of the children of this church. You saw them up here and the teenagers of this church and the young adults of this church and the senior citizens of this church and everyone And we can point them to the character and love of God because they see him at work in us. And so that when I get up in any of the meetings I host and ask, how has God been teaching you or shaping you this week? You can't help but tell me. And I saw it at work this week and I want to tell you about it. On Wednesday night, we got together to pray for the persecuted church. And as we did, the heavens unloaded and it poured. Now, that was a bad thing because we'd already had to cancel the first day of our basketball camp that we were to hold. And we were excited about this. And Doug and his team had spent countless hours and days and weeks and months in preparation. It was sold out. People were excited about it. And the first day was a wash. And in every sign, Freddie the weatherman, the observatory, everything told us there's no chance Thursday's going to be anything but the same. And so at the end of prayer meeting, we stopped. And after we sang the benediction, we sat back down and we prayed again. We prayed in staff meeting that morning. I have no doubt Doug and many others prayed throughout that night. And you know what? That next morning, it was sunny. 
from about 8 a.m. until 11.55, right when camp was to be done. And then the heavens unloaded. God is as at work today as he is. And out of that came a conversation or conversations that have led people to say, I want to be part of that family. Praise the Lord. He's not done with us. And he stretches our faith. Because if you'd asked me, I would have said, you should probably go ahead and cancel. Oh, me of little faith. God works. We show people that we trust God by our actions and by our words and by our lives. Then we create rhythms. All of us need patterns in life. Regardless of personality theory, we all need certain habits. Some of you need habits in how you hang your clothes up. I am left-handed sometimes. And therefore, my shirt should be hung in the closet facing to the left. It just makes sense, doesn't it? My wife didn't understand that when we first got married. And so she had a wonderful solution. You can do your own laundry. (laughs) And it was a very good solution. We all have those patterns and those ways that we want. But what if the order and the rhythms we wanted in our daily superfluous life, we put that energy into how we walked with the Lord? That every day at lunch, as we opened up our lunchbox or went to Café de Coral, we paused and read a psalm. Or every evening before bed, we recounted the scriptures we'd read and talked about with others. And we asked him to search our hearts. Or when we got up with breakfast, we didn't rush around, but we actually sat down and had a meal with our children and had time together. Or at night. And we began to create rhythms to, show, to remind our families of what it means to walk with God, to retell them of how we've seen Him at work in our lives and in the lives of those that have gone before us. Tell missionary stories. Tell stories of this. Tell stories of others you've known, saints of all ages. And then we renew each other. Hebrews tells us, encourage one another while it's still called today. Give courage to our kids. Give courage to our spouses. And give courage to those around us by how we carry ourselves. Doing nothing without complaining, but letting our families see that light and love of Christ in us. That even our families want to rejoice in how God is at work. Create those rhythms that others can know. Oh, I remember, some of you remember a dear saint uh, that was taken, in my opinion, too young, but David Rayner used to be a part of a Bible study I led. And we were asking, what do, you, what do you love about your dad? It was Father's Day. And he said one of the things he loved about his dad, Tim, was that he knew every morning when he got up, his dad would be sitting in the chair reading the word, praying for him. That's a legacy that was left for a child from a father. Do our family, do our friends know that we love God so much that we don't let anything distract us from Him? And then finally, and this is a huge one and it's hard for us at times, but as Moses was giving the Shema to the people of God, he invited them to invite others into the journey. And that means two things. You, as a human being, have blind spots, just like me. There are things you are really strong in, areas you're really confident and comfortable in, and situations you are not comfortable in. 
And in those situations we're not comfortable in, what if your church family came alongside and walked with you and walked with your kids so that you too might know your kids had a Selby, had a Dale, had an Ethel, had a Helen, had a Debbie, that they knew, loved, cared, and walked with them as they grew in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? What if you look around this room today and you know there's people of any age that just need somebody to walk with them today? And you said, I won't hope somebody else does it. I'll engage. These are all about verbs. I will get involved because Christ first loved me. What do we do? Well, if you can imagine, as you've seen as we've gone through these, we know there are these two influences that can point people to Jesus Christ. The first is the church, the light, yellow. You might see where this is going. And if the family is to show the great love of God, love might be represented by... Nobody knows what makes orange? Red, okay. Sorry, it's washed out on the screen, but that is a red arrow. And when you mix yellow and red together, you get orange. And I love the feeling of thinking about orange because as my kid told me this morning, Dad, orange means fire. And I was like, yes, it does. The fire of God burning in us that we can't help but come together and work hard as one family, one body to point everyone we know all over the world to the love of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. Lord, may we light this world with your light, with your love, and with your truth. Amen.